The following recording is a presentation of the Berean Baptist Church of Rohnert Park, California, and of Pastor Val Mark Smith. We are an independent Baptist congregation committed to the accurate presentation of the historical doctrines of the faith. We welcome your visit to our services anytime here in the Rohnert Park area. If you would, open your Bibles with me to First uh, John, the first epistle of John. Let's look at 1 John chapter 1. I'll read the first three verses. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon, and our hands have handled of the word of life. For the life was manifested, and we have seen it, and bear witness, and show unto you that eternal life which was with the Father, and was manifested unto us. That which we have seen and heard declare we unto you, that ye also may have fellowship with us. And truly our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for all that you do for us, all that you provide for us. Lord, even though we don't deserve it, even though we're unworthy, you love us and you care for us. You've promised to never leave us nor forsake us. You promised to give us all things that we need. And you are so faithful to do those things. Thank you, Lord. Help us to learn to be as faithful to you as you are to us. Bless our time now as we open your word and study it. We ask that your Holy Spirit would teach it to our hearts and minds. And we thank you for this in Jesus' name. Amen. Several weeks ago, I began a study concerning our witness for Christ. Uh, I began by considering what makes an effective witness. I stated in our first study in this series, I stated three cornerstones of an effective witness. Number one, I said that, that an effective witness has to have the right message. And we talked about the fact that uh, if we have a message that doesn't, that doesn't have anything to do with, with, with the problem, then what good is it? If, if you're a witness to, a, to a, a trial, for instance, and your information is for some totally different case then you're of, no, you're of no use to that trial. You're, you won't be an effective witness. So we must have the right message, and that message is the gospel of Jesus Christ, and that we do have. And we said, secondly, you have to have the right authority. And the right authority, as we learned, is, is Jesus Christ. And that is where our authority comes from. Jesus said, all power is given unto me uh, in heaven and in earth, and he gives that power to us to empower us to be witnesses on his behalf. And then thirdly, we said we had to have the right testimony, and that, that applies to our life. Then I turned our attention to the witness himself and considered some of the attributes needed to be an effective witness. And last, last time I taught, we saw from Scripture that some believers are more effective than others in their witness. This is not, be, this is not because they are given more of God's grace, because we, we know that the quantity of grace given to all believers is equal, uh, but this, this implies that some believers have matured and developed more than others. In Matthew chapter 13 and verse 8, we read, But other fell into good ground and brought forth fruit, some an hundredfold, some sixtyfold, some thirtyfold. So we see that some, some Christians are, are more mature, have, have, have grown more, understand more, and therefore uh, have more of, of an effective witness in their life. Now, there is no miraculous incantation. There is no, no, nothing I can do to you that I can sprinkle on you uh, that's going to make you any, any more effective as a witness for Christ than you are. 
Uh, yet there are some attributes uh, that are associated with mature Christians that help them to be more effective in their witness. Last time we met, I shared three thoughts with you. I said, first, uh, we need the attribute of availability, which is being prepared to go. In Isaiah chapter 6 and verse 8, we read, Also I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send, and who will go for us? Isaiah answered by saying, Then said I, Here am I, send me. And we see that Isaiah was available. He was available to God. If we will be an effective witness for Christ, we are going to have to be available to him. And to be available to him, we are going to have to have our priorities in order. Our priorities in life. God first, all things after. And that's, that's the main thing. We have to have the right priority in our life if we will be available to God. Secondly, we talked about the attribute of attitude. Attitude, being determined to obey. Um, listen, obedience doesn't happen by accident. Especially in today's world. We, you, you don't obey by accident today. You have, to, you have to determine to obey. You have to obey on purpose. There are far too many things available to, to each of us at any given moment of the day. And here of late, with the, with the wonderful inception of a casino right here in town, even new opportunities are available to God's people to, to succumb and disobey. But we must determine to obey. In Daniel 1.8, the Bible states that Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself. Daniel determined not to do wrong. He determined to, to walk in righteousness. He determined to obey God. When, when, when the king passed the law that no man could pray to any God save the king, what did Daniel do? The Bible says after he knew the writing was signed, he went into his chamber as he did before, opened his window, knelt in his window, and prayed to, to his God. Daniel was not afraid to obey. He determined to obey. And our effectiveness as witnesses for Christ will be directly proportionate to our obedience to him. For our obedience speaks of our attitude. If you desire to be an effective witness for Christ, you will have to be obedient to him in all things. But then last week, last time also, we spoke of the, care, of the attribute of appreciation. And, and, and in that point, I, I said we are obligated or obliged to serve. And we read from Philippians chapter 2 and verse 4, Let not every man, uh, look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. A witness for Christ, a soul winner, if you will, is a compassionate Christian. The eternal state of all men is of deep concern to him. It compels him to go forth and witness. Yea, it necessitates it in his life. So we've seen those attributes. Now this morning I want to consider two more with the time that we have. So number four on your study sheets is this. Accountability. The, the attribute of accountability. And next to that, I, I, I state walking with awareness. Accountability, walking with awareness. In Romans chapter 14, in the 11th and 12th verse, Paul writes, For, as it, is for it is written, as I live, saith the Lord, every knee shall bow to me, and every tongue shall confess to God. So then every one of us shall give account of himself to God. <coughs> Often people will ask me, are you concerned about the things you see happening around you? You know, does it bother you? 
Does it, does, it, does it trouble you that we see all these things in our, in our world and in our society, uh, things such as the casino and, and thing, things like this? And my answer is no. No, it doesn't. Because man is just being man. Amen? Uh, if, if I try to take food from a dog, what's he going to do? He's going to bite me. And if he does, should I get mad at him because he bit me? Well, I might be upset, but he is what he is. A dog does what a dog does. And if I go and try to, if I try to interject a change into that dog's inherent nature, it's not going to work. And man is inherently what? Sinful, Sinful, wicked, evil. Man is going to sin. I know that. Now, does it, am I, am I happy that there's a casino in Roner Park? No, I'm not happy. But does it trouble me? No, it doesn't trouble me because man is just being man. And guess what? We just read it. Every knee shall bow. Every tongue shall confess. Everyone will give an account of himself before God. I don't need to worry about. You know, sometimes I think as Christian people, we worry too much about exacting justice. Listen, we don't, need to, we don't need to judge other people. We don't need to try to exact justice on other people. What do we need to do? Worry about myself. i got to look into my own heart and, and ask myself, is my heart right with God? I, I, don't, I don't need to worry about, is John's heart right? Like, oh, you did something. You, your heart must not be right with God. Now, I should be an encouragement to him. I should be an example to him. But listen, John has to stand before God and give an account for John. John is not going to give an account for me. And I'm not going to give an account for him. I'm going to give an account for what I did in my life. My attitude, my thoughts, my speech, my actions. And we need to understand that. We need to be accountable for what we do. Our own actions, our own thoughts, our conduct. What is accountability exactly? Well, it's the state of being liable to answer for one's conduct. That's what accountability is. It's answering for your own conduct. Our conduct, whether we like it or not. Whether you like it or not today, your conduct, your behavior, is subject to scrutiny. Did you know that? There are going to be eyes watching you at all times. Whether it's right or not, it's irrelevant. Your, your, your conduct is subject to scrutiny. Now, I want to give you some thoughts here real quick. First of all, it will be scrutinized by our fellow believers. Our conduct will be scrutinized by our fellow believers. In 1 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 12, Paul tells Timothy, Let no man despise thy youth, (coughs) but be thou an example of the believers. In word, in conversation, in charity, in spirit, in faith, in purity. Notice Paul didn't tell Timothy to be an example to the lost. He said be an example in the believers, of the believers. Uh, This is because our behavior, our conduct, will come under scrutiny by those around us, by our fellow believers. Now, certainly the scrutiny we receive should be to our benefit and not to our harm. And in our Christian life, if we know something about another person, (coughs) we shouldn't say anything to other people. We should only seek to help that person by speaking to them. 
Doesn't that make sense? If I want to help someone, if I see someone doing something that they shouldn't be doing, and I sincerely want to help them, should I go tell everybody else about it so that they can all develop bad opinions about that person? No, I should go to them. And with a humble spirit, I should say, I love you, but I want to talk to you about something. Say, well, they might get mad at me. Well, maybe they will. And that's just a sign of their immaturity as a believer. But certainly, even if they might get mad at you, it doesn't, it doesn't benefit them, nor does it benefit you in the sight of God to go and tell other people about it. So we have to be careful with that. As believers, we, we, we observe each other's life, but we must not become judgmental, and we must encourage, and we must do what we can to help, not to harm. Our conduct is to be a positive example unto the believers. It's to be an example in holiness, not haughtiness, holiness. Shouldn't walk around like we've arrived and we think we're better than everybody else. Listen, let me tell you something. I stand in this pulpit at times for pastor and I stand in that pulpit at times for pastor. But never do I ever, ever, ever believe that I'm, I'm any better than anybody else. As a matter of fact, I honestly feel as Paul did, I'm the chiefest of sinners. And if God has given me any kind of understanding or knowledge to impart to you, then praise be to God. Because, as Paul said, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. We're not to be, we're not to be haughty, but we're to, have, we're to be an example in holiness. 1 Peter chapter 1, in the 15th and 16th verse, Peter writes, But as he which hath called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation. And that word conversation means manner of life. Because it is written, Be ye holy, for I am holy. Now, it's important here as we read this, that we understand that if God had not given us the ability to live in holiness, then he would not have commanded us to to live in holiness. Anything, listen, anything God commands you to do, he empowers you to do. Anything God gives you to do, asks you to do in life, he has given you the ability to do it. So every one of us here this morning... We have the ability, we have the empowerment to live in holiness, to walk in holiness. Uh, so stop making excuses for not walking in holiness. And just start living in the empowerment given to you by God. And be holy. Be holy. Determine like Daniel did. Decide, I'm not going to do that. You, do you understand, we, we, now, we have been empowered by God. We've been given the ability to resist temptation. We have been given the ability to overcome temptation and to avoid sin. So when we do wrong, when we do sin, it is not because we, can, we can't resist it. It's not because we can't help it. It's because we choose to do so. And we have to understand that. We have to be accountable for that. I've said it many times, and I'll keep saying it. You know, Flip Wilson coined the phrase, the devil made me do it. <laughs> the devil doesn't make, the devil can't make you do anything. He can only tempt you. That's all he can do. He can, he can entice you, but he can't make you do anything. He doesn't have that authority. He doesn't have that power. God has given you, he's empowered you to say no. But we don't want to say no. We want to do those things. And so we, we need to understand that. 
Time does not allow me to tackle this issue this morning. Uh, I'm going to do that a little bit later in this study, this, this matter of, of, of living in holiness. But let it suffice this morning to say that we are accountable. We are accountable to our fellow believers for our conduct. But then also, our conduct is scrutinized by those we associate with on a daily basis. By those we associate with on a daily basis. In 2 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 12, Paul wrote this, For our rejoicing is this, the testimony of our conscience, that in simplicity and godly sincerity, not with fleshly wisdom, but by the grace of God, we have had our conversation in the world and more abundantly to you. Matter of fact, let's turn to that. Turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 1 real quickly <laughs> and look at verse 12. What Paul is saying here is that his conversation, which more concisely could be more concisely translated his conduct. What he's saying is that his conduct in the world is consistent with, with a good testimony. You see that in verse 12? He says, for our rejoicing is this, the testimony of our conscience, that in simplicity and godless sincerity, and not with with fleshly wisdom, but by the grace of God, we have had our conversation in the world. Paul is saying, I've conducted myself in this world in, in a godly and in a spiritual nature. He lived his life with godly sincerity and with godly wisdom. He lived by the grace of God. And we, we did quite a, a long study on the grace of God in my Sunday school series. Uh, I think it went, it went all the way from, if I'm not mistaken, from February to like April. And we talked about the grace of God and, and how it affects us and, and all these things. Paul lived his life by the grace of God. I have observed Christians over the last 33 years of ministry. I have observed uh, often observe God's children walking carelessly before the world, walking carelessly in front of people in the world. And this destroys their testimony. And it corrupts their effectiveness as a witness of Christ. Listen, don't think for a moment that people in the world don't know how a Christian should behave. They do. Their own conscience tells them how, how a godly person should behave. So if we interact with them and we do it in a careless manner, if we're careless with our speech, if we're careless with our honesty and integrity, if, if we live a double standard, if we, if we in, involve ourselves in the things that the world knows isn't right, what are we doing? Well, we're destroying our testimony before these people. If, if, if you come to them and try to witness to them, they're going to they're gonna laugh in your face. They're going to they're mock you. I, I have a new job. Everybody knows that. And, and I'm working in a, in a large, very, very, very large, big company, over 200 employees. And I, I um, just this last week, one of the, one of the employees was using some pretty, pretty tainted language. And, and suddenly he stopped and looked over at me and said, oh, I'm sorry. And I said, look, I'm not, I'm not judging you. But I said, you know, and I, did, I told him, I said, you know, we have to be careful how we use God's name. 
because God will not hold him blameless that blasphemes his name. And that's all I said. But you know, people know. They know. All the rest of them, they, they, they gather together and they, they use their language all the way, that, all that they want. But I don't get involved in that. I don't run over there and say, they're telling dirty jokes. I don't run over and say, hey, did you hear the one about the... Now, I, I want to be accepted and I want, I want to be appreciated by everyone there. But you know what? My testimony is far more important than how much they like me. And as a matter of fact, my manager came up to me uh, the other day and said, you know, you being here has, has, has made the office a little bit better place to be. So, you know, listen. Don't ruin your testimony. Don't corrupt your ability to witness to people. You don't have to be, you don't have to, to walk around beating a drum. You just need to live your life godly. Just, just observing God in your life and understanding. Remember, when we work, we're working as unto whom? The Lord. So we need to remember that. But our conduct will be scrutinized by those around us. When we claim to be a child of God, but live a careless and self-absorbent life before the world, we bring a reproach to the name of Christ and we corrupt our effectiveness as a witness to his grace and redemption. If, if someone witnesses to one of your co-workers and says, oh yeah, so-and-so works with you, right? They go, yeah. Yeah, I, I, I don't want what they've got. I don't need what they've got. I've already got something just as good. Is that, is that the testimony you want to have as a believer? So protect your testimony. In 1 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 7, Paul writes, Moreover, he must have a good report of them which are without, lest he fall into reproach and a snare of the devil. Now, I realize that this excerpt is from the qualifications for a pastor. A pastor has to be a man of good report and, 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 and such. However, it is most definitely applicable to each of us as it pertains to our roles as witnesses for Christ. Concerning your role and my role as a witness for Christ, we must have a good report before the world. We are accountable for our conduct in the house of God. You know, I I think as Christians, we ought to come to church dressed appropriately. Not like we're going to a football game. Not not like we're going to a backyard barbecue. Now, while, while the way you dress doesn't make you more holy... It does say a lot about your character, doesn't it? And, and so we need, to, we need to have a good conduct in, in the house of God. We're accountable for our conduct in the world, at your job site, any place you go. You're accountable for your conduct, your behavior. Uh, but most important of all, thirdly, it is scrutinized by God our Father. Our conduct is scrutinized. By God, our Father. And that should be the most important thing to us. It doesn't matter what man can see. Let me tell you a little story real quickly. Uh, when I first got saved, I was a smoker. And I couldn't, I, couldn't, I couldn't kick that habit. I tried and tried and tried. I even lied to my wife for a whole year uh, she, and told her I had quit smoking. And I was smoking away from the house, behind her back. And, and I couldn't quit. I tried and tried. I just... I just but you know, the moment I got saved, I realized now I can quit because God can help me. And I made a commitment that day 
that any time I had a desire to smoke, I would drop to my knees wherever I was and I would pray until the Lord took that away from me. And you know, he took it away right there and never again. But one morning, I was a, I was a contractor, and one morning we were pouring some concrete, and it, I got there early, and I got there before my, my, the guy that worked for me, Michael Alpha, who, who had witnessed to me and led me to Christ. And one of the concrete guys was lighting up a cigarette. And I walked over and I said, hey, can I get one of those? So he handed me one, and I put it up and I lit it. And I stopped and said, wait a minute, what am I doing? How foolish am I? I'm, I'm worried about Mike seeing me, but what about God? God, God sees me all the time. And I, I threw the thing on the ground right after lightning. I threw it on the ground, stomped out. He looked at me like, hey, man, you just wasted one of my cigarettes. <laughs> and I went over and I knelt down and I said, Father, forgive me. For I, I, I'm weak in faith. But from that day till this one, I've never again even had an urge to do that. Because I'm aware. I, you know, I live with the awareness that God is ever present and ever watching me. It's easy to forget that, isn't it? It's very easy to forget that God is observing you. That God is watching you. That God hears you. He sees all things. But we must, we must understand that our conduct is scrutinized by God our Father. Proverbs chapter 21 and verse 2. Every way of a man is right in his own eyes. But the Lord pondereth the hearts. Listen, you can try to, you can deceive yourself all you want. You can, you can make stories all you want. But God knows what's in your heart. He looks past the lies. He looks past the facade and goes to the crux of the matter. He goes to your heart and he knows the truth. We are accountable to God for our conduct in this life. And rest assured this morning, there is nothing that God does not see. There is nothing hid from God. In Luke chapter 12 and verse 2, we read, For there is nothing covered that shall not be revealed, neither hid that shall not be known. Don't, let us not think that we shall escape the scrutiny of God's eyes. Every thought, every idle word, every deed shall come under examination by the Lord. Every one of them. Matthew chapter 12 and verse 36. But I say unto you that every idle word that men shall speak, they shall give account thereof in the day of judgment. God's going to call us up and say, why did you say that? Why did you think that? Why did you do that? And there's no excuses in front of God. We won't, we won't dare make an excuse before the Lord. An effective witness for Christ is accountable. He's accountable to his fellow man, to his fellow believer, and to his God. But then lastly this morning with the time I have left, number, Roman numeral 5 on your study sheets, is the, is the attribute of amiability. Amiability. If you don't know how to spell it, it's A-M-I-A-ability. A-M-I-ability. Amiability. And this is living with compassion amity is the word for friendship and amiability what is it it's a disposition to be friendly and approachable turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 9 if you would 1 Corinthians chapter 9 and we'll begin, we'll begin in verse 19 
1 Corinthians chapter 9 and verse 19. Paul writes here, For though I be free from all men, yet have I made myself servant unto all, that I might gain the more. And unto the Jews I became as a Jew, that I might gain the Jews. To them that are under the law, as under the law, that I might gain them that are under the law. To them that are without law, as without law. Uh, being not without law to God, but under the law to Christ, that I might gain them that are without law. To the weak became I as weak, that I might gain the weak. I am made all things to all men, that I might by all means save some. And this I do for the gospel's sake, that I might be partaker thereof with you. In the passage we just read, Paul enunciates the responsibility we have to those around us. He does this by showing his willingness to befriend and labor among the Gentiles. You see, he was not too proud, though he was a Pharisee, to befriend and labor among the Gentiles. He was not too busy To reach out to the poor and the weak. I remember several several years ago I I, I worked with a pastor. And this pastor would meet with me on Saturday mornings. To discuss visitation and and things such as this. (laughs) And sometimes he would pull out the visitor cards. And and I'm serious. I'm I'm not joking with you. He would read off a name and he'd say. Garbage. And he'd throw it. And he'd pull another card and he'd read that name and he'd say, Garbage. And he'd toss it aside. Why did he do this? Well, he did this because he wasn't interested in helping people. He was interested in getting money. He was interested in having people that would give money to the church. He didn't care whether or not that was a soul in need. If, if they couldn't help him financially, then he wasn't interested in having them around at all. And there was another, another Christian in that meeting who was deeply disturbed by what he saw. And I talked to him later and said, you know, uh, sometimes men do foolish things and we just need to pray and continue to work. But I, I had a hard time with it myself. You know... In 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 26, Paul tells us, For ye see your calling, brethren, how that not many wise men after the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called. In fact, the opposite is true. In Luke chapter 7 and verse 22, we read a story. John sent his disciples to, to, to Jesus to inquire whether or not he was, in fact, the Christ. I don't have time this morning to argue that this, the position over whether or not John was in doubt or, or what. I personally don't think that he was in doubt. John wasn't in doubt. John knew that Jesus was Christ. He recognized him the day he saw him in the Jordan River. I think what John was doing was trying to, trying to show his disciples why he was, he was doing what he was doing. And he, he wanted them to go to Jesus. And he wanted them to see that Jesus was, in fact, the Messiah. He, he wanted them to go and observe Jesus' miracles. He, he wanted them to go and be, and be, be uh, sure and founded in their faith, as John was. 
But in Luke chapter 7, verse 22, we see Jesus answering these, these uh, disciples of John. And, and we read here, Then Jesus answering said unto them, Go your way and tell John what things ye have seen and heard. How that the filthy rich, how that the mighty and strong, how that the beautiful and well-talented are preached. The gospel is preached unto them. Is that what it says? Uh-uh. What does it say? Go your way and tell John what things you have seen and heard. How that the blind see, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised. To the poor, the gospel is preached. This was Jesus' verification of his, of his role as the Messiah. This is what proved that he was the Christ. That he made no distinction between men. Now Jesus, Jesus also we see in scripture, Jesus preached to the Pharisees, did he not? He, he attempted to, to, to reason with these, these religious leaders. But he didn't overlook. Jesus didn't look at the leper that came to him and say, get him away from me. He's garbage. He didn't do that. He, he loved and had compassion now back to the preacher I was talking about earlier. He was a man without compassion. He was a man without the compassion to be an effective witness. Because he, he was going to only pick and choose those whom he wanted to witness to. And sadly enough, in his greatest hour of need, no compassion was, was shown to him. He went away a sad, defeated, and broken man. Now what about you and I today? Do we have compassion? Do, do we have compassion for, for the lost? Will, will we turn our nose up at someone who comes here who, who might, be, might be a little smelly, might be a little dirty? Do we, do we try to shovel them off into a corner somewhere and say, now look, sit here and don't, don't make any sounds? We, we need to have compassion. Think about the Good Samaritan for just a moment. Consider the Good Samaritan. Now, the Pharisee, the big religious man, he, he came down that road and he saw him there, but he didn't have any compassion on that man. In fact, he didn't, he didn't even show any pity for him. He just, the Bible says, he rode by on the other side and went on by him, didn't, didn't, didn't do a thing. He just left him to die from his wounds. But then came the priest. And the priest, he, he, he at least had enough interest to come a little closer to, see, to observe. He at least didn't go by the other side of the street. He just he walked by and looked down on him and went, mm, mm, mm. But yet, neither did he have any compassion upon this man. Because he, just, he too just left him to die. But then came the Samaritan. And the Samaritan had true compassion. He stopped. And he went to that man. And the Bible says he bound his wounds and poured in, poured in wine and and not drinking wine, but medicinal wine. And he, he, he dressed his wounds and he cared for him. He, he, he com- compassionately lifted him, put him on his, on his own donkey and took him to his house and, and put him up in his house and cared for him and, and helped him to try to help him get better. And when he had to leave, he, he spoke to the keeper of the house and said, uh, take care of this man while I'm gone. And when I come back, whatever, whatever I owe you for taking care of him, I will pay. This man had compassion. 
He was amiable. If you and I are going to be effective witnesses for Christ, we are going to have to learn to be compassionate to all men. Even if, even if we don't necessarily agree with them, even if, we, even if they rub us the wrong way, we need to have within us the compassion to go away and pray and say, Lord, help me to, to, to help that person. Help me to overcome my own weaknesses, my own inhibitions, and, and, and speak to that person and, and do what I can to help that person and be a good example in front of that person. We're going to have to learn to be compassionate. First Peter chapter 3 and verse 8, Peter writes, Finally, be all of one mind, having compassion one of another. Love as brethren. Be pitiful. Be courteous. Jude in his book in, chapter, in verses 20 through 22 writes, But ye, beloved, building up yourselves on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Ghost, keeping yourselves in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life, and of some have compassion, making a difference. That's what we need to do. We need to make a difference in the lives of the people that God brings us to. We need, we, we need to go to the lost, and we need, we, even among ourselves as fellow brethren, we need to make a difference in each other's lives. Compassion. Are we effective witnesses? Well, I don't know. God only knows that. However, there are attributes that we should be in our life if we hope to be an effective witness. All right, folks. Thank you for listening to this presentation of the Berean Baptist Church of Ronan Park, California. If you would like further information about our church, please feel free to call us at area code 707-584-7275 or write to us at Berean Baptist Church, 6298 Country Club Drive, Ronan Park, California, 94928. Additionally, you may visit us on the World Wide Web at www.bebaptist.org.